There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, the July. You are tuned into the Power Chord Hour right here on 107.9 WRFA, as well as on the Power Chord Hour podcast. However you're listening to this, thanks for checking this one out. Very, very excited for this one. I have Chris Ballou here with me of the President's United States of America. You might know him from his work under the name Casper Baby Pants, and he has a brand new solo record out now called Power Trip, and uh, quite a bit to get into. He's been very prolific with the solo work the last couple of years. We're going to get into uh, all that with Chris. Chris, how you doing? I'm good today. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good. As my friend Kurt Block likes to say, at our age, we're reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, such a good, I'm very excited to talk to you. I mean, I've been a fan forever, and there's a lot of different music to get into with you. But I want to start off with the new stuff. Like, if people don't know, the last couple of years, you've been putting out quite a few solo records. And if I'm not mistaken, on your website, it says that you're going to be putting out two new albums a year for the next few years. January yeah. and July of each, each year. So, I mean, yeah. I like, how has that been with that process? Because I don't know if that's either very helpful to have deadlines like that or to have that goal, or if that's like, if it makes it that much harder. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because I don't ever sit down in my studio and say to myself, okay, I'm making the next album. I'm constantly writing and recording and revising and editing and, you know, working on songs in various stages of repair or disrepair all the time. So I have this big vat. I think right now I have about 87 songs that are unreleased, but virtually finished. I just keep listening to them in the car and going, oh yeah, bass needs to do something there or making little notes. And then songs fall out of the sky and uh, you know, I, I have new stuff I'm working on too. But basically I'm working on a big bunch of songs all the time. When it comes time to make an album, I, with the help of a couple of co-producers who have pretty sharp ears, they help me and I put in my two cents about just skimming the uh, cream of the crop off the top, and that's an album. So I'm liberated from the pressure of feeling like I'm making an album, and without that pressure and with sort of more of an approach as a hobbyist, like I just do this because it makes my day uh, full and fun and... Um, all those uh, forces combined to make this a low stress, easy thing. I could put out three records a year if I wanted to. I just need to give myself a little break sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's really fun. Uh, and I, I'm just, I'm free of the pressures that I used to slave under when songwriting. And, and I just feel like liberated and light and free. And uh, that's the sound I'm making with this music. Did anything inspire that? Like, and in, in even specifically like the January, July thing. I mean, anything, the two albums, the months, anything like that, like inspire those specifics? Or is this just kind of one day you're like, hey, that, that sounds like a good idea to do the next couple of years? No, I think it, it just sort of presented itself because of the volume of songs. It's interesting because during my whole life, I've had these like arcs, you know, like the President arc and the Casper Baby Pants arc. And now I'm on this solo record arc. And the commonality with it is if when I find a purpose, like a reason to make the music um, and a palette, like a selection of sounds or like ideas that I realize are inside that uh, purpose or outside that purpose, then all these songs just flow. Um, 
So yeah, it's just, it wasn't something I planned. It was just like the first record was ready. And I think it came out in mid January of 2001, maybe. Um, and then I realized, well, I could have the next one ready for July. And then it just, the pattern kind of set itself and started to feel good. So it was really more intuitive. It, it, again, it's never like we're, I'm pushing, you know, battleships around a map of Europe trying to figure out how to invade. <laughs> nothing that crazy. No, nothing that pre premeditated at all. How about like, I mean, because, you know, I mean, I know you do pretty much, I mean, these solo records, truly all you, besides like you said, you have a couple extra ears and you're like co-producers. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I know there's a difference when I ask this, but like, what are the differences between when you're writing something solo like this versus in a full band setting when you're writing an album with two other guys, with three other guys, you know, and then also having the producers and other kind of outer powers besides yourself. This sounds very much insular. This is very much you. Like, what are some of the biggest differences in making albums this way versus with like a full band setting? Yeah, that's a good question. It's very different. And it for me, it's had to do with the journey of understanding myself and how I am most comfortable being with the creative process. Being in a band and having like being in a studio where the clock's ticking and there's other people involved and everybody's waiting and you're, you have a finite, like in two weeks, we are making this record. It just... I enjoyed the challenge back in the day, but it never felt comfortable. Um, and now the way I work is, like I said, working on a big batch and giving the songs lots of time to breathe and kind of, you know, be figured out. Um, I will often, you know, I, I number every mix. And when I'm mixing now, I'll get up in the like, you know, mix number 30. Whereas with the band or working with a group of people, you're really just mix one or two or three, you know, you don't, have the time plus it's really fun these days to be ruthless like i might decide after i finish the first draft of a song oh this song does not need drums at all or this song needs a synthesizer bass not a real bass or you know a drum machine instead of a drummer um and i don't have to bum anyone out by telling them you know what we're erasing your entire guitar track because we don't need it and uh so the ego issue is gone. I, the only ego I harm is my own. <laughs> another advantage of taking a long time to work on a song is that I forget about all the work I put into that solo or whatever when I realize the solo is wrong. Uh, so yeah, it, it's a softer blow for sure when I make sweeping edits. Um, yeah, I just, I feel like I'm way more of a mad scientist, especially historically. I've always had a four track or... You know, in the early days when I was a teenager, it was two, uh, you know, boom boxes going back and forth, uh, sound on sound kind of thing. And I've always had this very healthy, even with the presidents were a big deal and everything was happening. I'd have a lot of time by myself in my studio. It's just this mad scientist all alone in my studio uh, sort of thing is way more who I really am at my core. Um, so it's it's been interesting. I, and I'd advise anyone out there who's you know, just trying to figure out their creative identity. Think about how you really feel in your body when you're working with others versus working alone. I'm not saying one is better than the other by any means. Everybody's built differently, but I think some people bend themselves out of shape trying to do one or the other when it's not a natural fit. So that's been a long journey for me. And I feel like I've really settled. I think you kind of answered it in that, but like, I always like asking like the studio side of things, I mean, because at the same time, you have to be doing that with your role. But like, do you enjoy that fine tuning? If the, like the example I always use is, could you enjoy yourself EQing a snare drum for three days? Could you have a fun time doing that? 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. But especially because I'm using Pro Tools uh, and an older version of Pro Tools, and I'm really I don't have crazy plugins. I don't even use MIDI. I don't get fancy. I use Pro Tools basically like a 24 track tape recorder that I can get in and cut and edit. And just EQs and editing are kind of my my main tools. So yes, when it comes time to like finding the right, especially with vocals. I love using kind of that honky video kill the radio star setting as kind of a, a one approach to vocals or like a full EQ'd kind of rich sounding vocal. And I'm constantly like just sliding between that like honky and rich flavor, trying to figure out like with the message of the song and the music and how do I, and I'll, I'll toy with the EQ on a vocal for yeah an <laughs> entire day. And it's so fun because at the end of the day, I'm like, what? It's the end of the day. That's crazy. So I feel like when time melts away and evaporates, that's when you know that you're doing something right, no matter what it is, whatever your hobby is, or whatever keeps that sort of sense of doom at bay. <laughs> Do it. Is there like, I mean, in, including from doing so many things with this solo, you know, I mean, you're playing all the instruments or obviously the producer as well and all that. Is there anything that you get to kind of do that you no, don't normally like, say, like drums or something like that? I mean, is there do you just kind of jump in and do some stuff that like you enjoy doing, but normally you're not really doing if you're going to record a record? Oh, totally. I was just working on this crazy, weird song called Problem Solution because all this stuff in my life was breaking. My car broke down. Our uh bathtub was running for two weeks while we were out of town all this stuff happened and i was like well there's a problem and there's a solution and i started writing this song and it's very weird and very bizarre i actually used the speech to text or text to speech feature on my laptop to make the a robotic chorus vocal um so i'm yeah i'm constantly doing stuff that's that's odd or bizarre or you know very quiet or very loud um and it's just super fun to follow that intuitive randomness i you know when i started this solo thing one of my co-producers pete droge was like you know we should really think about you know taking these songs and having a real drummer play on them and kind of giving them a little more of like that band vibe and you know what it it i was interested for a second and i thought i don't want to do that i really want this to feel like a communication from an individual soul out in the you know expanse or whatever like i want the listener to feel like it's very much coming from one brain, one isolated human to another, you know, kind of. Uh, so it's it's a subtle thing, but I feel like, especially with drums, you mentioned drums, like I love just, I always look for cavemanish. I want cavemanish drums, like the simplest, dumbest drumming, and then have the rhythm and all the other complexity happen in the guitars and the basses and stuff. But um, yeah, I just... I don't want people to listen to this music and think about how tasty the drummer is. I want them to just enjoy the musicality of the whole, the song as a whole. You know what I mean? Like I'm not after virtuosity or I'll take very simple solos. I, I'm constantly like turning down the virtuosity and trying to figure out what's the simplest way I can play this. So it's, it's an interesting, uh, that's a color in my paint box that I didn't play with before. So that's still kind of, that's like almost newer in your song, right? You know, or like, I guess the way you write and record and all that, you would say you've been doing that forever. That's still somewhat recent, if you will. Yeah, it is definitely. I mean, back when I was, you know, in previous years, when I was being the sort of mad scientist all by myself, there was also a healthy dose of like, 
trying to be a someone else. I was fascinated with Wall of Voodoo growing up and I used to sing like Stan Ridgeway. And then I was really into the new romantic new wave era and I would sing with a fake English accent. So I was doing all these stupid moves that really weren't me. <laughs> so it took a while to kind of figure out my vocabulary uh, and kind of, you know, really try to represent who I am as a little individual human being. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You know, we we're you mentioned it earlier about like with song ideas, like it does sound you'll kick them around, you'll play with them for a while. Is there though, like for you, because I feel like some people will you kind of know when a song's gonna work right away? Like, is there like X amount of time you know it's gonna work before you go, you know what? Let me take this and put it away and maybe I'll play with it later. I mean, is there generally a time for that when you go, okay, maybe this works later, but maybe it's time to put it away and not keep spending time on this? Yeah, I use my boredom factor in that case. Like if, if a song, if something starts to grow, like I'll come in my studio and I just hit something on the piano that feels cool. Oh, okay, let's see what that's doing. As soon as I get bored, I just stop. And if I don't get bored all the way to making a final mix, then that's that. But if I get bored after putting on a guitar and a bass, I just stop. Now I don't throw it away. I put it in another folder where later I might scoot along and listen to all these little fragments, or I might write lyrics that need music. And I'll go back to all these kind of fragmentary instrumentals in different stages of disrepair and try to find music that fits these new lyrics that are showing up. So um, yeah, the boredom factor is a big one to listen to. If you start to get, you know, kind of uh, disinterested in what you're doing, just stop doing it. <laughs> but then again, there are songs I have where they'll go, I'll just be like, you know, I, the idea behind this song is so important. I had a song called Bird on the Run for a long time. And it was kind of like metaphorically about not realizing how capable we are as individuals of transcending our limitations and our attachments and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it just didn't musically, it just wasn't that fun to listen to. And conceptually the bird on the run line didn't really work, but I worked it up into like, you know, 28 mixes or something like oh, wow. over the course of, over the course of like years. Finally, I was just like, you know what? I'm going to take the essence of this song and I'm going to completely strip everything away and approach it from a new angle. And I turned it into a song called Gravity Trap. And it's way better. It's way groovier. But I had to take that failed version all the way to the end in order to realize, you know what? I got to hop off the train and get on a completely different train and figure it out. And now it's like one of my favorite songs. So there's value for me. And I always feel like, Every song has in its DNA something true and real that's worth exposing and and expanding on. But sometimes there that little that little nugget of truth is covered with crap, you know. And so sometimes it's a matter of like uh, finally realizing, okay, this first idea was not best idea. I need to open it up and redo it. So that's been a cool satisfying process did you have to learn that at all because like again I, I do think there is really something to be said about you know you're working on a song and maybe it's not working the moment but it'll work later on i mean have you have you always kind of been that way or is that something where you had to kind of learn where maybe earlier on it was like maybe you did have some gold and you just didn't realize at the moment you would scrap things maybe a little too early i mean have you always been this way or is no. this like you now and you had to kind of learn that yeah, I would, you know, back in the olden days, say when I started songwriting in the early 80s and through to the 90s, even it was really first idea was best idea. I, I never I didn't spend a ton of time rewriting. Mm -hmm. um, 
And in fact, there are some president songs where I'm like, you know, we really should have like reapproached that uh, later stuff. You know, the debut album is a is a perfect moment. So I have no complaints with that record. But yeah, it took me a while to kind of uh, realize that I had the ability to stop and go, that's not working. Now, one of the super cool things about that idea of a nugget of truth is that I'm going back and re reviving or reanimating songs I wrote in the early eighties and mid eighties that had this kind of like similar thematic yearning that I have now, but we're just it, the, the DNA, the good DNA was really covered in junk, like terrible, terrible, weird four track recordings and sound on sound and, and out of tune synthesizers and me with an English accent, but I'm shaving away all that stuff. And I'm finding these like wonderful intentions and now that I have like a handle on my craft, I'm, I'm, you know, ex finishing them basically. So it's kind of like I'm collaborating with my, you know, 21 year old self. It's pretty great. I that's dig it. That's really cool. Which yeah. actually kind of with that, like when you're using those older ideas, you're going back and doing that. Do you almost, when you're now reapproaching that song, using those ideas, do you feel like you're now approaching them? As current day Chris Ballou, or do you feel like you do almost try to go back and write in whatever, you know, kind of voice? Again, like you said, if you're using an idea you wrote when you were 21, are you trying to finish that in the same mindset as a 21-year-old Chris Ballou, or are you trying to finish that, like, current day? I any? think it kind of depends on how much crap was around the, the <laughs> DNA nugget. Like, sometimes, I just did one, I think it's even on my latest record called Memory Ball. And that's a song I've been toying with since like, well, probably like the late 80s, 87, 88, something like that. Yeah, 87. I remember 87. Now, I have a weird old little four track recording of an instrumental version before I'd finished the words. And I did this guitar solo that's so tasty, just like one of those rare moments where a one take guitar solo in my old four track days just totally worked. And so I learned that guitar solo and totally represented it same i even went out and bought the same guitar <laughs> That's yeah. it was a guild like a red flat top guild acoustic i went and bought it and played the exact solo on the new thing because that solo was part of the good dna of the song so i, I saved it but a lot of other ones just get you know just the sort of vibe or the like i had a song called um cadillac blue one of my earliest songs it was kind of like this you know I'm adrift in suburbia kind of yearning songs. I ended up changing it to a, a song on my second record. I can't remember which record it's on called Venomous Blue. And it's more about dealing with, um, you know, the aspiration to be famous and successful, getting that fulfilled and then finding that it's not made me happy, which is kind of a, a theme that you're hearing more and more about these days. But um, anyway, so yeah, they're all different, really. And it really depends on, I apply my current day Chris Ballou critical mind to my freeform, you know, uh, imitating my hero's 21-year-old self. And somewhere in there, we have a collaboration. I like that. I really like that. I think you get some really cool ideas. It's, it's nice, again, like as a fan, you know, hearing you're, there's so much of you, obviously, in the solo stuff because you're doing everything. And then another collaborator is basically past you. Yeah. <laughs> the old you you're also collaborating with. I know it's, it's kind of solipsistic and weird, but you know, it's intentional. Like I'm really, again, I'm intentionally trying to make music that sounds intimate. Like it came from somebody's insides. 
and my sort of visualization that I use for how people listen to this music is I like to imagine them lying down with headphones and dancing while they're lying down <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> and that kind of helps me inform like when I'm doing the mixes, like, is this helping this, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Headphone lie down dancey person? Well, you know, and then I might make mix uh, adjustments based on that visualization. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Have you, have you been recording? I mean, of all these solo records, I mean, all been kind of done in your uh, own studio. Have you been recording everything in your own studio? Oh, yeah, definitely. That was another thing when Pete was suggesting a drummer. I was like, well, the process of going through that, like, all right, we got to get all the files over to a real studio. We got to book it. We got to get a drummer. We got to figure out what he's going to play. We got to go home. We got to mix it. And then what if I do all that and realize it's the wrong beat or the wrong sound, you know? Um, so, yeah, uh, it's very intentional that it's small and personal. And that by extension, yes, I work by myself. I have one microphone. I have a laptop, I have an inbox, a couple speakers, and a, and a piano, and uh, and a iPad full of synthesizers that I trigger with the piano. So, and that's it. It's the it's the smallest. Here, I'll, I, I know this won't translate to audio only, but you know, just, YouTube people will see it on YouTube. Oh, okay. Well, there's guitars, and that's my three string from Casper Baby Pants. I played that guitar. I played that guitar when I was with Beck doing slide. That's a recent acquisition. I got my Paul McCartney bass. I got the very first two string that Mark Sandman turned me on to. I got the two oh, string. I, that's the two string I played on the debut album. <laughs> a little three string. And then I've got this Yamaha piano and uh, an iPad and then just a little laptop and a couple of French, couple of French monitors. <laughs> you have everything you need. I have everything I need. It's great. And, and a lot of this, a lot of imagination. So... Also, I mean, like on top of that, you do the artwork for the for the albums as well, right? Right. Yeah. When a few times during the last five or six years, music has kind of like dried up a little bit, which I allow. It's totally fine. You got to let the fields go fallow so you can grow new crops. So I'll walk away from music for a little while. And uh, sometimes the creative impulse is replaced by the impulse to draw. And I got bit by the drawing bug. A couple of times I've had shows here on Vashon Island where I live uh, at a gallery here a few times, a couple times. And yeah, when it came time to make art for these new records, I was like, well, I've already made this art and it really feels connected thematically. Like I was making art about a lot of the art was about uh, the negotiation between my consciousness and my ego. Like your ego is like this big army of little selves that will kind of yell and shout and make you behave uh, not in not great ways, like make you be judgmental or selfish or defensive or whatever. So I've kind of got this dialogue going with all these parts. And a lot of the drawings were about that. A lot of the lyrics and the music are about that. So I felt like thematically they kind of went together. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, that's been a really cool thing. I did go to art school and okay. I have a bachelor of fine arts. So I'm technically uh, an artist. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> For like, you, you kind of brought it up there too, because I, I wanted to ask like, you know, because yeah, obviously you need to take breaks from things at times, I'm sure. Like, I mean, it's nice you have drawing to go to that, you know, to take a break from music. Do you have anything that like, for that, for that like creative outlets, is there anything do you feel like influences your creativity that's maybe non-conventional? Like, I, it could be maybe you go out hiking and that makes you like want to write a song, like things like that. You have those unconventional things where if you're getting writer's block, you're just not feeling creative doing that might actually, you know, light a fire under you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple things. Definitely nature. I mean, 
Uh, I live on an island uh, on the, about an acre of uh, land, and we have a little walking path that we have that goes around the perimeter of the um, of the property. Mm. And just you know, if I'm working real hard, I've been in here for an hour and a half, couple hours working, working, working. I'll just like stop and I'll go out and walk the path and just think about what I'm trying to accomplish in the studio. And a lot of times, like uh, maybe a line in a chorus that I haven't settled on will click when I'm walking and just looking at nature. So that's a really good one. The other one is I love biographies. I love cool. watching documentaries about other creative people. And lately they've been sparking songs. I wrote a song about Andy Warhol. Oh, nice. uh, I wrote a song about David Bowie. I wrote a song about Iggy Pop. Oh, They're nice. all like just inspired by these, uh, steeping myself in someone else's life and their arc and their creativity. Those kinds of uh movies, those kinds of documentaries I find really inspiring. And not everyone sparks a song, but it, it's a place where I can kind of feel this like really clear, empathetic tug towards someone else's inner life. And I, I just, I, then I like kind of po making poetry out of that and turning it into a song. So it's it's been fun. Drawing and music, I mean, obviously two big old creative outlets for you. Do you have any other, like, do you have anything else you'd consider like a creative outlet or does all your kind of creative energy go into music and drawing? Yeah. You know, I read a great book. My friend Joel recommended this book called How to Fly a Horse. And it basically is about democratizing creativity and the concept of creativity to be like making a sandwich is a creative act. Um, so for me, like cooking is making food is creative. I love that. Um, you know, uh, and that's about it. No, <laughs> actually working in the yard, I yard work. I hated historically. I've hated yard work during the pandemic and all the associated anxiety with the pandemic. I found that if I went out and just started plucking weeds and maintaining the path and moving firewood around, I felt fine. I felt great. So I've become attached to the creative aspect of, you know, like just weeding a path. I remember I was in Japan one time and I saw these old ladies in a garden working on this absolutely just tight manicured lawn. And they were going in with tweezers and just taking little bits of weed or little bits of dirt out. And they each had like a 12 by 12 inch square that they were working on. And that's it. They were just working on that. And then they'd move to the next square. And I just thought, wow, the sort of peace and dedication and, you know, in some senses, creativity, they're creating this field of absolute perfection. Um, that was really inspiring. It was really cool. And I, I revisit those ladies whenever I'm in the yard working on weeds. I'm a, I'm a little more like, you know, I hack away a little bit more than they would, but similar idea, like, you know, one patch at a time. I guess I look at songs that way too. Like, let me take time with this patch, this song, this idea, and kind of, you know, really tweezer out the weeds after I've given myself the first phase which is make a huge mess then i go through and tweezer the weeds i'm gonna start calling that weed tweezering <laughs> honestly like when you were talking about that it made me think of music because i mean going in there and tweezing those specific pieces of grass and stuff like that i don't feel like that's terribly different from spending days eqing a snare drum or something you got to be meticulous like you can't get that out of thin air you have to have that patience to do that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Until this moment, I hadn't realized that those uh, old Japanese ladies have also influenced my mixing process. So. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know it. Now you do. <laughs> I didn't know it. I didn't know it. That's so great.
on top of a power trip i do know you also have a new release called volume one that's a compilation of your favorite songs off your first four solo records you got a copy yeah i got a copy right here very nice very nice for everyone watching it's the four it's the four uh uh characters from the first four albums that's kind of i love your drawings i gotta say too they work they do work very well with the albums thank you thank you and this album's cool it comes with uh, all the lyrics on the inner sleeve oh nice and and it also comes with a zine that's got all my sort of like explanations or backstories for all the songs and and a bunch of embarrassing photos from when i well from when i was you know writing embarrassing songs back in the old days See, oh. me and my my white hot tuxedo oh that rules <laughs> 80s it's the 80s so anyway yeah those are on bandbox.com uh if anybody wants one so uh go there and get one there it's a limited run so get them while they're hot was it was it easy the thing i was wondering with that i mean was it easy to figure out the songs to include or is that a difficult task because you are this is playing favorites with your own music yeah well there's you know every album has three singles uh so i started there and there were a couple choices for singles that ultimately i I didn't think i chose the best song one of them was one change was influenced by uh actually chris novoselic a bass player from nirvana when i sent him my first solo record he zeroed in on a song uh called radar mind and he just loved it and he would send me little videos of him like at a hardware store uh, listening to the Radar Mind on his phone or something. And uh, so his affinity for that song sort of made me replace what I had as a single with that one. But otherwise, there weren't that many changes. So it's really just the singles from those three. And then I kind of, you know, um, sequence them in a way that makes sense for side A, side B. And uh, it's pretty fun. I- I'm not doing, otherwise, I'm not doing any physical um, media for this new stuff. I just, really? I-, I got tired of like, you know, in in a sense, in a you know long term sense, it's tomorrow's garbage. You know, so <laughs> I'm trying to avoid more stuff in the landfills. I've you know with solo projects that didn't really spark, and I thought were going to be huge. I've over my life, I've thrown away. I've I've watched a lot of CDs go in the landfill. Oh Jesus! So I'm trying to stop that uh, stem the tide by uh, yeah going digital only <laughs> I, I do know i mean you said you're releasing that through bandbox i know uh there's been some presidents reissues a couple different things through them i mean how'd you kind of start working together with bandbox i know i know there's been a couple releases now yeah you know? i'm not sure i think they reached out to me or one of us in the presidents i think uh, you know that's funny i can't remember how they popped up in our lives but uh yeah they've been really good to work with they're very willing to take risks and do stuff and we're uh we're plotting doing more vinyl president's final with them we'd love to eventually do all the albums and then make a box set kind Ooh. of thing so and then i'm going to continue every four solo records i'm going to put out another uh vinyl with them that's why volume one is volume one there'll be volume two and volume three and on and on as long as the songs flow i was gonna say you don't really have like an end date for that right for doing the two albums a year i mean this is just kind of would you it's- say for foreseeable future yeah, foreseeable future. I mean, you know, I made as Casper Baby Pants when I was making music for zero to five year olds and their parents. I started that and it was just like an avalanche of songs and I just kept going and playing shows and more and more albums. I ended up making 19 albums. With, and these albums have 20 songs on them. So I'm not slouching. And I worked very hard on that stuff. I mean, people think, oh, you make music for little kids. It must have been so refreshing because it's so easy. You can say anything. It's actually the opposite. 
I had to really pay attention to like little story arcs and character development because I put the vocals right up front. Anyway, it was a lot of work. But what happened with that was, yeah, I, I thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life. And then it just sort of naturally arced. And I was like, well, I've said all I have to say, and I'm kind of ready to stop playing live. And I'd let it go. So I don't know when this arc will end, and I don't know what the next arc will be. So I'm really, in a sense, following my impulses. I'm not scripting this at all. I'm just kind of at the mercy of uh the path being lit just a couple steps ahead of where i am <laughs> do you have any do you have any interest with the solo stuff of ever is it do you think it's going to stay strictly a studio project or could you see doing a one-off like compiling a live band and doing a one-off here i mean i'm sure i don't know if you're like playing tours or anything like that but yeah. could you see doing something in a live setting with these solo records boy my favorite saying is never say never but no, <laughs> because when the presidents broke up and in spent five years broken up and then got back together, that was a total never say never. I had no idea that would happen. So I've learned my lesson with, with saying never, I, I don't do it. <laughs> uh, and sometimes when I'm mixing this stuff, I do make choices based on a visualization where I'm in front of 50,000 people at a festival in Germany and everyone's singing along, like they're going to want this to happen four more times. So I'll put that in, you know, but, um, it's all just, you know, dust in the wind right now. Uh, you know, the idea of the work it would take to do something like this with a band and do it live, it just makes me feel heavy and sad. Taking <laughs> the fun out of it, now it doesn't sound as fun now. Yeah, you know, if someday that makes me feel good and light and happy, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. But right now, you know, I just love my, I love the quiet of my life. You know, I've, I've flown so many miles. I've played so many shows with Casper baby pants alone. I played 1300 shows. The, pre the presidents did almost 700 over the course of their whole arc. And, uh, you know, there's just a point where you're like, you know, I've been there, done that. That's good. I'm going to let my record stand and, uh, kind of find a new voice. So that's kind of where I'm at. Any any song? Obviously, you haven't played them live. But even going off that, like you, that mindset of you know, thinking about these songs from a big crowd. Are there any songs off the new record or your solo stuff that you feel like would transfer really well live? Like, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot, so it's off the top of your head. But like, do any songs you go, wow, I could really that would be one that gets a good crowd response, or that one I could really see people being into. Yeah, I guess the one that pops into my mind is Primitive God from the album Primitive God. I. I was kind of trying to ape Cashmere a little bit by Led Zeppelin. And in, in an extension of that, I was imagining it live. You know, so, and it's got that eh, like high vocal in the chorus, which would soar out over and be, you know, echo, echo through the arena. <laughs> There's a couple songs, like uh, new songs I'm working on that would definitely play live uh, really well. But um, yeah, Primitive God pops into mind. Uh, I'm trying well the title track from the new album Power Trip that would be good one super fun um yeah basically all the loud songs <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you're right I think those are trans yeah, that'd be the set list I'd just be like loud 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 <laughs> <laughs> well just a couple more for you here I mean having a blast talking you talking to music and everything I did yeah. want to ask you know I mean obviously a few days ago sadly Wayne Kramer did pass and people president fans kick out the jams I mean I know I've seen some great video of you playing with him did you get to know him at all over the years did you get to know Wayne at all or anything like that oh yeah absolutely I mean I mean it's a it's a whole story that I'll try to do it fast but um the initial answer 
to us changing the lyrics to kick out the jams and weird alifying it basically uh, from the MC5 camp was no, you can't do it. Really? Yeah. And I think a lot of it was coming from Patty Smith, who is Fred Sonic Smith's um, beneficiary or, you know, was with him and been, and uh, inherited his legacy. Um, Wayne was really the one who convinced everyone that they should say yes to our version. He, you know, one day I realized uh, after the album had been out and everything, I realized, oh, we never gave Wayne Kramer a gold record, which was the thing you did back in the 90s. You know, you get a gold record all framed. We did that through the label. And then he called me at home about two months later and said, I was very touched by you sending me this award. And and it got me thinking about the process I went through to say yes to you covering the song and changing the lyrics. And it really was this process where I loosened my grip on our legacy. I felt like I was becoming the man if I said no, like I was cutting off progress and innovation and uh, it really reorganized my attitude about our our whole uh, catalog and our legacy as a band. And so we bonded over that and became real friendly right away. I used to go to L.A. I was trying to do uh, film soundtrack work, commercial work, TV show theme songs. I'd go every summer for two weeks and I'd hang out with Wayne on those trips. You know, we'd go, get together for a barbecue. We went bowling, <laughs> you know, all this fun stuff. Uh, and every so often I'd go to LA, I'd have a party. I actually introduced Weird Al to Wayne at a party that I organized at a friend's house. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. It was, I, I kind of sat back, I'm like, Wayne? Al. Al? Wayne. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, you know, we interacted over the years. Uh, he jumped up on stage and played with us in LA a couple times. We played Kick Out the Jams with Wayne on, on guitar. And, um, so yeah, we just kept in touch and had a great time. And I, uh, you know, donated to his cause, Jail Guitar Doors, quite a bit. Uh, to you know, uh, it's an amazing organization. I won't go into it, but um, so yeah, when he passed away, it really like it hit me in the heart. And uh, I'm I'm real sad. I did not know he was sick. Um, I think what he had took him over real fast. And um, so yeah, it's it's just a it's, it was just. It was a blow for sure. No, absolute, absolute legend. I just, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to ask the AFP any stories, but yeah. Great. Well, yeah, and, and the main story for me is getting to play live with the, the MC5 when they were doing the MC, wasn't the MC50, it was the MC30 or 40, or I, I, I can't remember what year it was, but I got to play with them when Dennis, the drummer, Michael, the bass player, and Wayne were all still alive. Oh, man, that had to be amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I had three fifths of the MC5 um, uh, for that live show, and that's on YouTube if you want to check it out. It's it's a real cool experience. It's super fun. That is that is absolutely yeah. amazing. That's very very cool. You know, is 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 you know as we as we kind of start closing this out again. You've been at it a long time, prolific songwriter. You know, one more about songwriting for someone who's been doing it so long. You feel like your approach has changed a whole lot throughout the years. Like if you still, even though you're a different person, do you approach a song differently than you did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 10 years ago? Like, is that always changing? Or has it stayed pretty consistent throughout the decades? It's absolutely changed. It's interesting because I used to, um, I used to really consider the music a slave to the lyrics. And then the lyrics were really trying to kind of paint a specific silly or fun or surreal picture um and with the presidents and with casper baby pants it was really all about sort of 
illuminating a narrative with the lyrics. And then the music kind of would support that atmosphere. These days, it's way more intuitive. Like I'm not uh, visualizing something and writing a description of it. I'm kind of more like waiting for phrases or or melodies to kind of drop into my you know uh, being or whatever um and only later will they like i might think of a lyrical turn of phrase uh you know one week and then two weeks later this music pops up and i realize oh those two go together interesting so there's this kind of intuitive patient um waiting game that i'm playing now where songs are more Ab way more abstract than they used to be lyrically. Uh, and that's allowing me to kind of just wait and be patient and allow them to happen. Now, sometimes they happen fast. Sometimes they happen fast, but I don't necessarily like before I'd get an idea and I'd be like, Oh, go, go, go I got to develop that. Oh, oh, it might go away because I had this sort of, you know, hit maker mentality because we had, a big first record and then the second record came along and they're all like well write us more hits and i was like i'm like a monkey with a blindfold that did a painting that everybody wants and now i've got to like do the painting over and over again but i don't know what i did because i'm a monkey with a blindfold <laughs> <laughs> so um that pressure was really destructive and it took me five years to get so that i could when the presidents broke up the first time it took me five years to just be able to sit down and play without an internal voice desperately grabbing at what might be a hit single. So now I've arrived at a place where I'm just like very slow and open and random and intuitive. And it's really nice. Like songs come in little like generous shards and bits, and then I have to kind of assemble them. So it's, it's, it's way more kind of like a walk in the woods uh, than it used to be. It, before it used to be like a, a sprint through the underbrush. <laughs> where I'm getting scraped by all the brambles and everything. And now it's just like a gentle walk in the woods. Now you like, now you kind of see the trees and you stop, you look at the mushrooms, you kind right. of identify things. Actually, there's a song on the new record record called turn into the tree. That's exactly about that. Oh, it's, nice. about, it's about how much I admire the sort of patience of trees. You know, I look at trees and I don't judge them. I just say like, wow, you are really patient. <laughs> I, as somebody who, besides doing radio, if I'm not doing this, I like to get lost in the woods. So same, I get the same thing. I can just look at an old growth tree or something and appreciate it and get out in Pacific Northwest. You're in one of my favorite parts for that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Where are you? I'm in Western New York. I'm like 90 minutes south of Buffalo. Real, oh, real yeah. close to the Canadian border and the PA border. Oh, I know it well. My sister-in-law lives in Rochester. So oh, yeah, three, I'm like three hours away. Yeah, and her parents live in Ohio, so we drive right through there going back and forth between Rochester and Ohio. There's so. a good chance you've been through Jamestown, New York then. <laughs> probably, probably, yeah. Nice, nice. Well, you know, we have the new music from you. Anything else on the horizon in the world of uh, in the world of Chris Ballou that we should let people know about? Anything else coming up? Well, nah, just more of the same, really. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a plane. I can't complain, as uh, Mr. Cobain said uh yeah just more of the same i'm working on new stuff i think my net my so i have album six is uh, uh power trip and the next album album seven i'm just uh, kind of starting to put together so i have no idea what it's going to be called yet or anything but boy i've got some real amazing crazy shit that uh i i i'm excited to share so 
yeah, just more crazy shit. <laughs> where do we uh, where do we send people? Where do we go? Is it a power trip? Where do we find you online? All that, all that good stuff. Well, I'm on the old Instagram at Chris Ballou, uh, but you know, a good place, a good hub to start is just chrisballou.org. Um, and if you go there, you can not only see the new releases and stuff, but there's a ton of unreleased songs and instrumentals. And I have made ambient music for meditation or for Ooh. putting on behind creative work or whatever. Um, I get a lot of emails from writers saying they like my uh, uh, ambient music for writing. So there's all kinds of treasure digging to be had on the website of stuff that's either discontinued or never before released. So a lot of it. So check that out. Nice, nice. Yeah. Anything else to let the good people know before we close this out? Which if they're listening to the radio show, we're going to play all of It's a three-hour radio show. We'll play Power Trip front to back. So oh, my God. That's great. That's so fun because when I make these records, the other thing I do, ritual I do, is I hand in the record and the singles three months before the release date. And then I do not listen to it at all until the release date. And then I give myself a treat. I put on headphones, I lie down, and I just journey through a record I've forgotten. Um, and so I, I guess I'm envious of your listeners because they have never heard this record uh, either, and they're about to. And uh, that's one of my favorite states for my own music. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, and we're commercial-free. They'll hear it uninterrupted. There won't be like a commercial for uh, McDonald's in between track three and four or anything like that. They'll hear it uninterrupted. <laughs> Oh my God, that's amazing. Can you imagine a future where people do that? <laughs> Why has that not happened yet in the world of commercialization? Like, you know, there's uh, bands have uh, used to be paid to have their songs in movies and now labels will pay to have the band's song in a movie. I mean, you could pay for your whole record by putting commercials on it. That's the one thing you're missing. <laughs> I hope on the next one, I really hope on the next solo record, there's just... Yeah an insurance commercial here yeah. maybe like a fast food one. Oh my god that's that's like and i'm imagining on vinyl like marrying <laughs> marrying the old like the old experience of listening to records with a totally new like terrible crass commercial situation. Now, <laughs> what you have to do volume 2 of your collection is going to be your favorite commercials from your solo records. It's just <laughs> a collection of your favorite ads. Exactly, exactly. Oh my gosh, that is so amazing. That's blowing my mind. Well, Chris, I mean, this is amazing. This has been great. You know, again, if you're listening to the radio show, you're about to hear Power Trip. If you're listening to the podcast, go listen to Power Trip. Go get that. And yeah. We'll play some more music right now. I'm Anthony Merchant talking to Chris Ballou right here on the Power Court Hour.